Today's episode is sponsored by Friendly Pixel. Friendly Pixel was started back in 2019 by two brothers who wanted to find a way to bring the board gaming experience to digital devices while still fostering the social side of gaming that makes traditional board gaming so special. And Friendly Pixel has just released their Codenames-inspired digital board game, Treasure Hunt. Designed to be played in person, Treasure Hunt uses the devices you already have on you to quickly and easily get your game night started. It's available now as a free download for iOS and Android, so visit FriendlyPixel.app to download the game today. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're going to continue our discussion about marketing, what it looks like to market your game effectively, whether you're going through Facebook ads, through Kickstarter, through email lists, all the different things. We've got part two with Andrew Lowen. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me back, Gabe. And it's a real blessing that you asked me to come on for a second time. Um, and uh, congratulations to you off the air. We were talking about how you just hit a million downloads. And that's amazing to me. Congratulations. Yeah, it's, to it really blows my mind. I wasn't even paying attention. <laughs> you asked me a random question about stats and whatnot. And I just, I don't ever check it. It's not something, you know, that's not my scoreboard, so to speak. You know, I'm not sitting here on pins and needles looking every day and checking the numbers because that, that would be, you know, just rage inducing. But uh, it is a crazy thing to think that this little, little podcast of mine crossed over a million. And thanks to the listeners for that. So if you're listening to this, I really appreciate you. Thanks for downloading the, the shows. Hopefully you're getting a lot of good content, a lot of good information. Out of them. My, my biggest goal is that the Board Game Design Lab would be a helpful guide in helping you design great games that people love. And so hopefully it's doing that for you. And uh, I just look forward to the, the next million, I guess. But uh, it's great to have you back, uh, Andrew. There's so many things to talk about. Again, we talked on the last show. You, we could do 10 episodes on this. We could do an entire podcast on this and still have you know plenty of content, never run out of information. And just to kind of do a quick recap, if you haven't listened to part one, please go listen to part one, because that's going to lay all the groundwork for things. It kind of looks at the timeline from way out, if you're doing a Kickstarter or something like that, all the way up to about three months away. It's kind of where we left off, and that's where we're going to pick it up uh, today. But we talked about email lists and landing pages and all the, the groundwork you need to do, uh, the ways to, you know, what kind of emails to send to your list, Facebook groups versus Facebook uh, pages, all the different ins and outs of kind of building your marketing machine way out, you know, on the front end. And in this episode, we're going to get kind of leading up right up to the Kickstarter, what to do, you know, a couple months out, all the way up to day of, even post Kickstarter campaign. We're going to talk about a lot more details with Facebook ads. That was something I know uh, you and I both got questions about from the last episode. Tell me more about Facebook ads. I want to know, help me understand the numbers, help me understand what I need to do for this, that, and the other. So I'm really excited to get into that. And we'll just see what else uh, pops up because I'm sure there's a lot more uh, nuances, a lot more kind of organic conversations going to happen as well. And so, uh, Andrew, one thing we get to talk about before uh, before we get into kind of the those topics is a lot of people reached out to you and talking about how they're just uh, frustrated. They're just, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to start. They, they want to wait until they kind of have the perfect, you know, mm-hmm. opportunity, perfect ad or whatever it is. They don't want to you know, feel like they're a used car salesman or being spammy to other people. And so what would be your advice to people that, you know, listen to the last episode, they're trying to figure out how to market their game, but they don't want to come across as sleazy or, or, or spammy or anything like that. What would you tell them? So 
I, I can't help but tell stories because I love stories and I feel like, you know, facts tell, but stories sell. And so I want to sell an idea to you guys. I, I think that, uh, so there's a story about uh, a professor said, Hey, you know, I need um, you, uh, the class to separate into two groups. Uh, the first group, um, you know, they, and they were making clay pots. All they had to do was just make clay pots. And I'm sure you've heard this analogy before. Some of you heard this analogy before. But uh, one group had to make as many pots as they could. And they were graded on the quantity of pots that they made. And the other group only had to make one pot. They only had to make one pot and they were graded on the quality of that one pot. And the real test was who would have the better pot. And I'm sure you could guess at the end of that uh, test who made the better pot. Of course, it was the people at greater quantity. So if you make 50 clay pots, your final pot is going to be much better than somebody that spends the same amount of time working on one because your expertise grows. Your, um, I guess like your, your small little, uh, um, I want to say like the way that your muscles and your brain interact, they, it, you become more coordinated and all of that. And so the, the lesson in the end was the quantity of work that you do will make you a better um, a pot in the end. So in the same way, we need to not worry so much about making, you know, getting like the perfect strategy and you need to just jump in and start doing, you know, um, do something is probably the best marketing line I could ever give somebody is just do something. So, you know, maybe you'll be considered spammy a little bit. Maybe, um, you know, like me, you'll get booted out of a Facebook group and have to apologize and say, can you please let me back in? I'm sorry. I'll do a better job next time or, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, really, you know, what the lesson is here is that perfect is the enemy of good. So if you want to do good work, don't worry about doing perfect work because then you'll never do any work. Um, so uh, the whole, uh, so that's, I guess, to address the first part of your question. Um, so the second is, uh, how do you grow your list online without being spammy? Um, really, for me, there are two ways. Number one is that the best thing that you can do in a Facebook group or wherever, whatever, you know, a forum wherever you interact is just share your passion. I mean, share the passion that you have for your project because your excitement makes me excited, you know, your excitement and your honesty and, you know, just, I feel like, I don't feel like I'm being sold when I, when somebody's excited, I feel like, um, you know, I want to kind of have a piece of that excitement. It's infectious. So, um, if your passion comes out in whatever you write and your excitement comes out in whatever you write, it'll kind of shine through and help you to kind of break that barrier of, of spammy versus honest and, and, you know, maybe I'll like it or comment on it or whatever. If you're excited, then that makes me want to kind of engage with you. Uh, and the second thing is art is, I mean, board game art, we have this, niche that we operate in that the art is just so beautiful for all of the projects that that you know everybody's making the art is really what moves the needle for a lot of people um so if you share art and ask questions and and that kind of thing really just i guess seek engagement with whatever it is that you're sharing uh people will engage um i know it's 
kind of a, it kind of is spammy nowadays, but it used to be really popular to say, Hey, you know, I've got, uh, this art with that color scheme and that art, same piece with a different color scheme. Um, which is better a or B, you know, and, and why, and you'll get like 300 people commenting a or B, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I don't necessarily advocate for doing that all the time. I think that you could do things like that and ask questions to try to engage people. And I think that that would help your case uh, to not be spammy. Another thing is don't put a link in your post, please. Don't link. I mean, don't. I mean, the whole joke about like, can I tell you about my Kickstarter? You know, the the memes that floated around. Um, don't link something in your post because people tend to run from that stuff. So if you, um, but one thing that you can use is the Facebook algorithm. It will work in your favor if you post about your, you know, your uh, whatever you want to say uh, about your art piece. You do not put a link in there in that in that main body. And then when somebody responds and says, wow, this is awesome. The, you respond to that person and say, you know, in a, in a comment and say, hey, yeah, you know, if you're interested, you can get more information at this website address or, you know, this Facebook group. And what will happen is Facebook's algorithm will mark your comment as the original author of the post as the most relevant comment for people to uh, to look at. And it will list your um, post, you know, just whatever your text and then the image. And then down below, it will show one comment and one comment reply. And your comment reply will be what shows and your link will also show. And I've found that that is a very effective way of generating um you know, in engagement and getting people to sign up for your list without appearing spammy. So, um, there you go. Yeah, that's a really good point. Some great advice. And then going back to the, the clay pot thing, quantity creates quality. You know, that's, that's the thing. If you just sit around and think same thing, in game design, if you just sit around and ponder and write little ideas and notes in your journal, but you never actually get it on a table, you never actually prototype it and play test it over and over again. It's, it's never going to be any good because it's not, it's not real. And <laughs> you're just trying to do the perfect, you know, one, pot as opposed to doing 50 iterations, 50 pots. And then eventually that last one is worth publishing, worth going to Kickstarter, that kind of thing. So yeah, quantity over and over and over again will be, you know, just trying to do it one time the best. Uh, and, and then another thing that always comes up is people say, oh, you know, do things when you're ready, launch your Kickstarter when you're ready, this and that. And the other. That's kind of true, but I feel like it's more like launch it when you're ready enough, do these things when you're ready enough. Cause if you just say, okay, I've got to be ready. It's never going to happen. It's like being ready to have kids. It's like being ready to invest in the stock market, ready to, you know, take a risk on your, that entrepreneurial job you want to, you know, thing, that new business you want to start. You're never ready. You're just ready enough. And so launch it and then iterate, mm -hmm. make changes. You know, it, it, it's all play testing. You know, I, I've done so many things in business that, that, you know, we're close and then I get some feedback. Oh, okay. I can, I can perfect this now because I got some really good feedback and different things I can change, different ways I can do things. And so just get ready enough and whatever that looks like for you, you know, don't, don't try to be perfect because yeah. it's, it's never going to happen. Uh, and so let's get into kind of the more, more of this marketing stuff, right? So we kind of left off in the last episode, about three months out from a Kickstarter campaign. So let's kind of pick it up where we left off. And really this is the time to start thinking about paid advertising. Uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, you can uh, get, sponsorships of different Facebook groups and get the banners and things like that. Let's go a little bit further. And first let's get some good working definitions for, you know, different things. Let's pretend like somebody listening to this has no idea what we're talking about. So let's get some good definitions for, you know, like pay-per-click and, and paper, uh, uh, what's the word view and things like that. And so let's, let's start there and then go deeper. 
Awesome. That sounds good. So, um, so some basic terminology. We have uh, pay-per-click or PPC stands for pay-per-click. So when I click on your ad, it's Facebook or Google or whatever is going to charge you some money. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, you have a certain cost that it's, it's going to, you know, a certain um, dollar or cents value it's going to, it's going to charge you. And then that customer goes to your site and a certain percentage of your customers are going to convert. Maybe they sign up for your email list or maybe they back your Kickstarter campaign or, you know, that kind of thing. So you have another term that I, I personally consider very important is CPA or cost per acquisition. Um, so you have a, um, uh, so let's just say you pay 10 bucks to get 10 customers. Really simple. You have one of those customers um, signs up for your email list. Uh, it's probably a pretty terrible uh, conversion rate. Uh, you know, one person on your email list for 10 bucks. But, uh, but you know, we'll just keep with the analogy to keep it simple. Um, the uh, cost per acquiring a customer is $10. If you can um, lower your uh, cost per click, which uh, uh, is another term, you uh, maybe get those same 10 customers for five bucks. So you're only spending 50 cents um, per click. Then you have that same conversion rate. You can acquire twice as many customers because, you know, for this, for the very same budget. Now, if you were to increase your uh, conversion rate from, you know, getting one out of every 10 people to let's say two out of every 10, um, you could increase your, uh, you know, your, um, or decrease your cost per, for acquiring a customer uh, significantly. So if you cut your um, cost per click in half and then you double your conversion rate, you've actually multiplied your results uh, times four. So it tends to be a little bit of a, of an, of an exponential curve um, at, a, at a certain, I guess it, depending on, um, so anyway, sorry, I'm getting into the weeds. I'm being a marketing nerd here. So, um, so basic terminology, just, uh, you know, when you turn ads on money's going to leave your bank account until you turn them off and Facebook would love, or Google would love to just absorb as much money as it, as it can from you it's your job to make it profitable. And so some of these terms are in essence, just to try to define um, some very important components of that process. So I'll just, yeah, gotcha. And now when should I really start thinking about Facebook ads or is there even something I need to be thinking about? Like just some, some games do better with Facebook ads and other style games, not like I know with board game geek, you know, getting their advertisements, their banner ads, whatnot, certain games do much better than others. And so what, are, what do I need to be thinking about and how far out from my Kickstarter campaign do I need to be thinking about it? Yeah, that's a great question. So the first thing is I recommend about three months out, you should be really thinking about ads. Um, but truthfully, when um, when you start your game, you we talked last time about defining your target market and, and all of that. When you play test, you should kind of, uh, you know, I mean, this is like a year before, two years before, whatever it is, whenever you're playtesting, you should kind of be thinking about your target market and what stands out to them and, and, and all of that. So that when we get to this point at three months in, and, you know, let's say you want to do it yourself, or you want to contract out to a marketing company or whatever it is, you need to have the information, uh, you know, that, that uh, to share, or, you know, you need to know what it is that your customer cares about. 
Um, the things that your customer cares about, and then of course the type of game and, and that kind of thing will determine where you're going to go market. But in general, you want to, you, the places you want to market are the places that that customer goes. So uh, Board Game Geek, people like Heavy Euros, Dungeon Crawls, like they're usually like a little more heavy games, Gloomhaven or, or like Twilight Imperium, stuff like that is going to do really well on Board Game Geek. Um, you know, uh, or... I mean, a lot of a lot of things on, um, you know, Facebook, you can find almost anybody. But, you know, if you had like a very light, you know, gateway game, you know, or, or like a like a kid's game or a party game that would not do very that typically does not do very well on Board Game Geek. Um, also, I mean, there, there are a million other things, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so another thing you mentioned a moment ago was budget, right? So what, what do I need to be thinking about? How much should I be budgeting towards ads, towards marketing in general, towards Facebook ads? Like, give me some idea, maybe percentage-wise or even just numbers, maybe some numbers from uh, you know different uh, projects you've run, just kind of ballparks to get an idea of what I need to be thinking as far as you know budgeting before I get there. Because I don't, I don't want to get there and be like, oh, I needed an extra thousand dollars. I wish I would have planned for that. So what do I need to be thinking about? All right. Yeah. Um, so first thing, and of course, another story, the, uh, I used to be a semi-professional poker player and I would go into a casino and I would sit down with, let's say like a hundred bucks. What I did at that table and what you need to do in marketing is the very same thing. The money is lost. Uh, even though I'm sitting at, uh, down at the table with the money right in front of me, I consider it lost. I'm not playing to win back that money. I'm playing to use that money in, in the best ways that I can and, and in, in the most intelligent, make the most intelligent decisions I can with that money. So whatever you do set aside for marketing, you need to consider it um, in, in a way sunk. So um, the one thing, I mean, you don't want to go in with a budget of $10,000 and say, hey, this is sunk. At a certain point, you're going to be able to to say, oh, you know, we spent 500 or whatever and we learned some lessons uh, maybe you want to decrease that budget because you are losing some money, or maybe you want to increase it 10 times because you're just making so much. Um, these things are, are decisions you can make along the way. So, um, but in the beginning, what, so what I'll say is like a general rule, the pre Kickstarter marketing from what I've seen is the, uh, to me, the most important part of the, uh, so when we're talking about ads, you want to allocate the most important bit of your budget and this doesn't necessarily mean the greatest percentage of what it is that you could possibly spend i'm saying the 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 most critical time in uh, uh, your campaign is going to be the pre-kickstarter marketing because that is what gets your product or project funded and when we're talking about funding you know you you know we last episode we talked about if you uh fund quickly it's going to put your Kickstarter campaign on a very different trajectory than if you fund it after a week or, or three weeks or, you know, barely by the end, you know, obviously it's going to be a much different trajectory. So that pre Kickstarter marketing is most important. And honestly, if let, let's say uh, for, for an average person, you have some disposable income that you're kind of stocking away or you have a credit. This is very common. I mean, people have a credit card that they have to put um, ad add money on because they've invested everything into art and they've done everything they can. And the reason they need Kickstarter in the first place is because they don't have any more money, you know? Um, so they will often put things on a credit card. 
And what I'll tell people is that, um, you know, a, a very reasonable budget to plan for is 500 bucks. Um, if you have $500, you can spend $50 a day for 10 days leading up to your Kickstarter campaign. That's plenty enough time to see, you know, if things are working and, and that kind of thing. As long as you know the types of language, the types of things that your audience um, responds to, you, you're not going to be starting at the very beginning saying, I don't know what image to use or I don't know what text to use. It's very important if you're starting, you know, with a budget of 500 bucks and only 10 days that you know those things or that you have a, a, a solid idea. Um, personally, I would advocate for a month um, of time and I would advocate also for a, a, a minimum of 20 bucks a day to just um, start However, I would personally weight that, you know, that's uh, what, like $600 in a month um, if, at $20 a day. But I would actually weight the, the money that you're spending toward the end of that month period, right before your Kickstarter campaign begins. Because, you know, hitting people right before the campaign starts, it they tend to be more excited than people that you... Uh, reached out to a month before. So I, I guess just throwing out a number, I mean, plan at least 500 bucks into your, um, you know, your pre Kickstarter marketing. And for me, what I do uh, on launch day, I typically um, spend, you know, between launch day and then the next day, I spend about as much as I did pre marketing. So maybe another 500 or, or let's say like two, 300 two or $300 launch day and the next day. Um, you want your project to start strong. Uh, there are a number of other factors in addition to positive return on investment. Of course, we all want positive ROI, but there are another a, a number of additional factors you need to pay attention to, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Um, you know that that make ads very valuable. Uh, but but one of them is visibility. So if you have more people going to your Kickstarter page, then your your project is going to be ranked higher and you know, we all know that launch day is a big day for people, you know, Kickstarter Tuesday or whatever it is, is a big day for people to, to go in and check out your project and whatnot. And it's going to get a lot of visibility. It's going to rank high on, on, um, Kickstarter's search algorithm or search engine. And uh, people are going to find it when they're looking, browsing tabletop games or, you know, whatever it is. And, um, so I, I put a lot of money there. And now the thing is, in the midst of the project we, we'll get into later, but that everything else is not essential to me for marketing as it is the pre Kickstarter and launch day. Those are the things that you have to budget for that. And then if it goes well, maybe we can budget more, you know, in the mid campaign and at the end and whatnot. But so, you know, there, there you go. Yeah. And another thing about starting, ahead of the Kickstarter, a month out, at least a couple of weeks out, something like that, is it gives you some time to tweak your ads and maybe do some split testing, do some A-B testing and figuring out which language works best, which picture works best. So tell me a little bit more, tell you know listeners a little more about what split testing is, why it's valuable and how they can do it effectively. Very good. So, I, um, so uh, what split testing is, is you test one ad. So let's just say you've got your first ad has a headline one, um, paragraph text two or description two and uh, picture three. You know, we've got, you know, our basic one, two, three, whatever those are going to look like. Um, split testing 
with a second ad, what you want to do is you want to see which ad is going to perform better. So uh, the first ad is your what's called a control, the ad that you know you think is going to perform well. Um, and in the very beginning, when you have no ads, then both of them, you know, you're testing to see which becomes your control. So uh, let's say you have the exact same headline for both ads, you have the exact same description for both ads, and a different image. Um, you're going to see which image is, you know, kind of moves the needle um, more for people, which image gets you a better result, which image gets you a cheaper cost uh, per click and, and that kind of thing. Um, so when you determine which image is better, and oftentimes it doesn't take very long to determine, um, you can turn the ad off that is uh, less successful and then keep the ad going that's more successful and then create another ab test maybe you want to test let's say okay we th this image performed better but what about the headline you know let's change the headline um and a you can ab test again and see which headline kind of uh performs better and that kind of thing um one mistake i see people making um a lot with ab testing is they will do add one is going to be like we're going to focus on this image and a headline and description that kind of appeal to the crowd over there. Then ad number two, we're going to do a completely different headline description and image to this crowd over here. And you have so many variables in there that when one performs better, you, you don't truly know why. And the key for me as a marketer is I need to know why this performed better. I need to know like concretely it was because image one was superior to image two. But in the example that I just gave, a very generic example that I just gave, um, you uh, and we will get more specific with actual, you know, uh, case studies and firsthand experience and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, you have like you, you had a different audience, a different headline, a different description, a different image. And you don't know what actually mattered. I mean, you know, maybe audience one was like, you know, war gamers and audience two was like, you know, families. And, you know, uh, so it, it just, you have to know, you have, I, I have to know what specifically the reason was that, that the one ad outperformed the other, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And now another thing for, for people to be thinking about is, okay, so leading up to, your Kickstarter campaign, you might be thinking, well, where do I send people? You know, like a lot of people, they do advertising during the middle of the campaign, especially when they hit that kind of mid campaign slump. And then they just send people to the Kickstarter page. But if you're doing it ahead of, you know, a week out, month out, where do you, where do you send people? And there, are there any kind of nuances about, you know, where to send them, how to do it? That kind of Yes. So there are a couple of different options. And this again, depends on maybe your expertise, your budget, whatever. So landing, a landing page is the answer. So you have to send people to a landing page. So when you create an ad, one of the fields that it's going to ask for is the link. You know, where, where do you want to send people when they click on this? And it, so the answer is landing page. But what that landing page can actually be, there's a lot of variety. And it depends on your expertise and budget. Um, the, the most obvious landing page is going to be your Kickstarter preview page. So, and, you know, if you're three months out, you probably don't have it ready. But um, the, uh, the most... Uh, I guess the answer that everybody is going to have if you're going to Kickstarter is that Kickstarter preview page. Um, Kickstarter also has a, um, and, and by the way, the, the whole goal for the Kickstarter preview page is to hit the remind me button or the save this project, you know, be notified when this project launches. That's what you want people to do. Um, then Kickstarter has its own kind of landing page 
system, which is just a really simple landing page that has a picture of your project, uh, you know, the date that it's going to launch, the little blurb that you post, you know, their project's title and, um, and then like the, bu- the button that the heart button that says, remind me or save this project, you know, and, and let me say in the midst of this, uh, that I actually detest the current landing page that Kickstarter offers. I do not think it is very effective at converting. Um, and this is, I mean, I have used it. I do have firsthand experience with it. Um, and I will say without a doubt, the Kickstarter preview page or the, the third option that I'm about to talk about the, uh, the website landing page, you know, are, are far superior. Um, so the third option is a website that you build. Um, it, it typically, I mean, it always has a, an email subscribe kind of call to action. It's got um, links to learn about your project. It's got, um, you know, places to follow you on social media, maybe a group to join and, and that kind of thing. So you need to send people to something that allows you to capture their really uh, to capture the email address to the way I call it or the way I refer to it is to win the right to communicate with that person. Yeah, definitely. Now, another thing I've noticed when I've clicked on Facebook ads and whatnot uh, to go to Kickstarter pages is that it'll send me to another page real briefly, and then I'll get redirected to the actual Kickstarter page. So tell me what's going on there. And, and is that something I should be doing? Yeah. So the uh, now this is a little bit more advanced. It is So there is something in Facebook called a Facebook pixel. Um, a Facebook pixel is a, a, a couple lines of code that you put on a website and it tracks, it, it kind of uh, gives Facebook permission to track what a visitor's behavior is on your website. And um, let me say that it's, it's too bad that Kickstarter does not give you a place to put a Facebook pixel. You can put a Google Analytics uh, for those that know what that is, but a Facebook pixel, alas, is, is not uh, eligible to... Uh, to, to track on Kickstarter. So um, you send somebody from Facebook through an ad to your personal website and you, you have a Facebook pixel installed. If you have a word, you know, basically I won't go in on how to install that, but you, you put that in Facebook will tell you how to do it. Um, and it will track what uh, that, that person, um, what that person does. So um, that tracking is essential for you to um, to have in order to determine if your ads are working or not. Um, so I guess, you know, that uh, sorry, my my train of thought ended probably two thirds the way through. So, <laughs> yeah, but it makes a lot of sense because you want to know are people one, you can test which ads are working better. Uh, two, you can, when you, when you pixel somebody's browser, okay, you're not spying on them. Like it's not some kind of CIA, you know, Amazon Alexa listening, everything you say kind of thing. It's, it's really just a way to track people who are interacting with your content and then you can market to them again or not, right? You can market to people who've already been to the website, been to the Kickstarter page, or mm-hmm. you can d- exclude those people because you don't want to send them the same thing a second time, yep. or maybe you do want to send it to them a second or third time. So it just gives you more options for you know going down the road as far as how you're going to market to people you know more later. And so I think it's something right. definitely to think about. Uh, the installation is not hard. Uh, I've done it several times. It, it's, it's pretty easy, pretty straightforward. You, it, Facebook walks you through it pretty well. I don't want to go through it right now because it's subject to change. There's a lot of things about Facebook ads that change constantly. So I don't want to say it now and then give you the wrong information. But it, it's an easy Google search, easy. Uh, Facebook, again, walks you right through the entire process. Now, one thing you, you yep. talked about a minute ago, was getting your your pay per click 
down, you know, your cost per acquisition of a customer down. So tell me about targeting and some different things I can do. I think the pixel plays into this, right? How, how targeting and limiting the number of people, like you don't want to send your Facebook ad to everybody in the world because they're not going to buy it. And so you want to make sure you're being very specific. And I think that's the beauty of Facebook. So tell me more about targeting and how I can do it effectively. Yes. So um, I'll follow up on what you said about the Facebook pixel and and, uh, that your ad account on Facebook in particular learns. So the Facebook pixel, it provides that link for, you know, from your website back to Facebook that says I'm allowed to uh, chat or I'm I'm allowed to to spy on what people are doing. Um, Non-CIA, of course. Uh, But um, the, uh, the idea is that your ad account will learn. So let's say if somebody clicks on your ad and they go to your website and then they hit the subscribe button and put in their email address, you can actually set that as a goal. Um, in fact, by default, Facebook has certain things that they track as a, you know, as go- a goal. And, and there's a very, at the, at the moment, there's a very visual way that you can get um, certain things to say, hey, this is a subscribe you know, when somebody subscribes to my email list and other things like that. And you can kind of teach Facebook what, you know, what that is. Um, or, and then, you know, after let's say a hundred people subscribe, Facebook will is trying to learn the whole time what a good customer is for you. So um, this is, uh, this concept is something that I rely on heavily in the way that I market and in the way that I target. Um, so over time, Facebook is going to learn what a better customer looks like for you. So in the beginning, you you need to get specific with very specific interests and and that kind of thing. But over time, you can actually remove some of those specific interests and get very broad. And Facebook, based on what it's learned about who a good customer is for you, will show your ads to better people on its own, which is kind of scary. Soon it's going to grow arms and legs and take over like Terminator. But I mean, for now it's not launched any nuclear missiles. Um, so the, um, audience targeting, I have this kind of a, uh, I hate using the term generic because it's, it's not, but, uh, my strategy for working with a board game client starts with specific interests. So what I do is I go in and I create, um, uh, an audience in Facebook. Uh, I teach it what exactly the the metrics i i care about you know uh as far as the um the type of person their location the interests that that person has even the age of of that person um and you know and so i you know let's just say men and women ages 18 to 65 or you know whatever really you can probably um narrow that down you know 45 years old 55 years old i mean we have people older than that, that love board games. Um, and I would recommend personally not to cut off the, the ages at the, the top and bottom, um, uh, for reasons that are, you know, we won't get into right now, but the, the key is the, sp- you need to start with specific interests. So I have a client that, uh, you know, we're working with right now. And by the way, um, I do have specific clients that have given me permission. I have asked permission to share numbers and that kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, in return, they just wanted me to share what their name is and their website artist is. So I'm happy to do that for them because, you know, and I, I, I hope that uh, you guys as listeners, you know, th- these guys really have allowed me to talk about anything I wanted. And it's kind of a scary thing when somebody, 
uh, lets you do that because what if I talk about negative things? And so, uh, anyway, these guys, they're, they're trusting me and they're, they're also willing to give to, to you guys as, as a community. And so, um, I wanted to share their information. So the first I was going to talk about is Grenda. This is, uh, their website is grendaboardgame.com. It's uh, G R E N D H A boardgame.com. But, um, they, uh, have a, a war game that's very similar in some ways to, let's say like a song of ice and fire, or uh, the Great Wall that that came out. Um, there are a couple of games like that. Um, maybe uh, Lords of Hellas. And the first thing that I did with their audience is I targeted people that number one, they so you can set uh, interests, and then you can say you have to also match this interest. So you kind of narrow further. So the first thing is, if we're going to Kickstarter, you want to use Kickstarter as an interest. Put it in its own little group by itself, Kickstarter. If you were trying to send people to Amazon.com because you have a game that's already produced and you need to make more sales, make sure it's not Kickstarter. Make sure it's Amazon uh, because you want whoever it is uh, used to using whatever system you're going to be sending them to, or website you're going to be sending them to. Um, so Kickstarter is the first interest. Then there's this little button you can hit where it says narrow your search further. You can uh, hit a button that says they must also match uh, you know, and then click that. It'll say it'll it'll give you the opportunity to list more interests in kind of the separate little group. So you can hit uh, what what we did was we did board games, strategy games, um, and that kind of narrows it further. So there are people that have to like Kickstarter that also have to like board games um, on Facebook, and that you know, let's say there are about thirty million people that have Kickstarter listed as an interest, it's like twenty nine million something, and then there are uh, bajillion people that love board games but kickstarter and board games it it kind of cuts the number down to you know i can't remember the exact number of of people but it's it's like five less than five million um maybe it's like eight million so anyway um what we did was we cut even further so the people that like board games strategy games and kickstarter they uh we narrowed further we hit you know you must also match um this next interest which is war games tabletop um, uh, uh, miniature wargaming and things like that. So not only do you have to like Kickstarter and board games or strategy games, you also have to like Warhammer. You have to like tabletop RPG or tabletop uh, war games and that kind of thing. That cut the audience down to under a hundred thousand people. So what we did was we started with that group and we started advertising to that group. Um, we got a pretty good return because it's a good, you know, it's a game that really appeals to war gamers and, and that kind of thing, but there's not really much meat, I guess, to, to really market to there. So you can't market for a long time to that audience. Um, so we, uh, we marketed a little bit to them. We got, you know, let's say 150, 200 subscribers on our email list and what I did was I moved into what is called a lookalike audience. So this is kind of the next type of audience you can create. The lookalike audience says, you know, okay, I, I, you know, Facebook in, let's just say in the United States, there are 227 million ish profiles in the United States that you can market to. And what uh, you can, or what Facebook will do is it will organize all 227 million people, uh, which you, again, you cannot tell who they are or, or anything like that. Facebook keeps that information private, but it will, it will organize and say, you know, that list based on 
some criteria that you give it. And one of them is I want people based on, you know, uh, these results from my website. So you can say, um, you know, you can use an email list and say, I want people similar to the people on my email list, which is the reason that you want to build an email list before you go to Kickstarter. Uh, one of the reasons, sorry. Um, another is, um, you know, you, you can, uh, target people based on their activity on your website. So if they looked at two pages, if they scrolled 70% the way down the first page, if they, you know, subscribe to your email list, all that kind of thing. So if there's enough data, Facebook can can leverage, the, you know, the, the people, let's say in, in our first example, and this is actually a firsthand case study of something I did, you know, last month um, with, with Grenda we created a lookalike audience based on the people that had subscribed for, uh, to their email list. And, uh, we took the top 1% of those people, which ended up being like, um, gosh, it's, uh, probably like 400,000 people, you know? Uh, oh, so it was actually like 2.1 million people because again, the, the top 1% of whatever, 227 million. Um, and it was, I guess, 2.27 million people or whatever. So uh, we then narrowed that audience by Kickstarter and board games. Um, so it was it was like less narrowing. And we, we ended up with like four to 500,000 people on that list. And we marketed to them. We got even better results because Facebook found those people that would be amazing Um you know, that loved war games that loved whatever. And I didn't have to put all that stuff in there. I just said, Hey, look at these 200 email subscribers, figure out what's similar between them. And then just, uh, you know, do, do your thing, Facebook. So, uh, that's the way it works there. Um, now when you, and you can create lots of different types of lookalike audiences, but as quickly as you can, you want to try to get to a lookalike audience. That's going to be your probably one of your best sources of, of actual email subscribers and actual Kickstarter backers is a, in, in the lookalike audience. Um, then if you teach, and we tested this and it was, it was, pre it was pretty good. Um, when you teach Facebook enough, you can use the broad match. Um, so you can just straight up, so your Facebook account has learned a lot by this point. You can actually test out creating a new audience that is in every country that's, you know, every major country, like, uh, you know, for board games, um, I, I, my default for are the US, Canada, the United Kingdom, and Australia. Uh, you can move into, of course, France and Germany and other places like that too, if you would like. Um, but I typically reserve my, you know, you want to kind of cherry pick off the top. So I, I typically reserve uh, my ad spend for the English speaking audience that is, that has money to pay for this right away. Um, which is the, the big four countries, U S Canada, the UK and Australia. And you can set the interest to, um, board games and that's it. And it will know Facebook will know that you like people that were interested in Kickstarter. You like people that were interested in war games and it will match the right people without you doing all this crazy interest targeting because Facebook has learned, um, which is kind of terrifying, but that's how it works. Wow. Okay. That is a lot of stuff going on. 
what are some benchmarks I should be thinking about? I've got all these things happening. I've, I've got these, you know, some of the audiences. I got all the, the split testing. There's a lot to keep track of. And then I look at the dashboard. What am I looking for? Like, what, what should my cost per click? What am I, what, what am I aiming for? What am I looking for as far as numbers, you know, getting out there in front of people? Give me some just idea ballpark ranges or maybe even some case studies you've seen for like pretty solid things. Nothing crazy. Don't go, don't give me your best of all time, right? Let's look at kind of in the, in the middle, the main ones, the solid figures, not like the out, outliers. Uh, give me just kind of the, the typical stats numbers I should be looking for. Okay. So um, the first thing is, you know, a lot of people want to know the answer to this question. In fact, a lot of people reached out, you know, I, you know, posted on in various groups asking, Hey, what would you like to learn about, you know, Facebook ads? And, you know, if we did a conversation about this on VGDL and a lot of people said, you know, I want to see, you know, if it has good ROI, like return on investment, I want to see, you know, if it's basically worth it to, to do this. And, it's not, these numbers will not teach that to you. Um, I will, I will give you a couple of different case studies. Um, but in general, one, um, so there are stats I do have, you know, some firsthand stats, but you know, some general examples of your email list, depending on how your email list is structured, you know, who's a part of your email list. If you, uh, so let's make the assumption first that you're building an email list for a very specific game. Um, you know, there are a lot of, I'm like you, Gabe, you've released several games. Um, I think I backed all of them by the way, but, um, the, uh, the idea is that you, you know, hunted, let's take hunted as an example. You're making an email list for hunted. They would be people that love solo play people that, you know, maybe have a significant other and love co-op with that one person or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you can get, a very, very good conversion rate out of the, the email list. Let's, you know, James Matthew wrote anywhere from like 10 to 16% is his experience with, uh, with the results of people that were on your email list that actually backed your Kickstarter campaign. And I've actually seen very similar numbers when we create, um, um, ad or audience, uh, audiences for, or sorry, when we build email lists for particular games, where people are interested in that one game, they will back, you know, it's, it's really in between 10 and 15% for me um, of those people on list. So if you have a hundred people on your email list, 10 of them are going to back your game. Um, let's just make that assumption to, to keep it real easy. Uh, so you've got, you know, 10%. Um, we'll use, we'll use that, that number. Um, now the cost that it takes to get those people is gonna, you know, I, I see typical numbers. I mean, the best I've ever done is like 68 cents to get somebody on an email list. Um, and that's a, an outlier. Um, my typical, you know, the common things I see are really anywhere from like two to four dollars to get somebody to join your email list with ads. Um, you know, really, I guess that's probably high, uh, maybe a dollar fifty to like. $2.50 is a good benchmark. Um, but, you know, Gabe, you have a game that's like 20 bucks and that may or may not work for you. Um, thankfully, it's not the only thing to uh, to pay attention to. But, you know, if you have a game that's $100, it's a much different, um, I guess, a m much different result. I mean, it, you know, if your profit margin is, you know, let's just say 10 bucks, 
or you know of course you have to pay all sorts of things out of it so it's much less than that but let's just say it's five dollars your profit margin um you have to acquire customers and and be profitable and five dollars is the money you get to play with so you have to get somebody to back your game for less than five dollars that may not be you know i mean facebook ads at a you know two dollars and fifty cents per person if it takes 10 people that is you know twenty five dollars to get one person to back your your game and that's that's a real losing proposition right but um when you have a game that's a hundred dollars it's it's much different maybe you have thirty five dollars to play with or let's just say twenty five dollars and one penny to play with if you can get customers at twenty five dollars you're you're gonna make more than you're gonna lose and you should theoretically spend an infinite amount of money uh, because you're gonna make one penny more than you than than it costs you to acquire someone. So obviously, you know, bank accounts don't have the ability to spend infinite money. They go to zero at some point. But uh, I guess that's kind of the idea. Yeah, gotcha. And so we talked about split testing and changing images, anything, you know, all that kind of stuff. Anything else that can help me lower that cost per click or that cost per acquisition? Any other like outline things? Any other nuance kind of things you've seen work that just kind of all come together to help me lower that cost? Yeah, actually. So there are three major components to lowering your cost per click. And in general, it all boils down to, um, to, to one thing is did the people who receive your ad like it? If they, if they liked the offer, if they appreciated it, they're going to respond positively. And Facebook does everything they can to track exactly what's what's happening so um you have a couple of uh you know different metrics um so facebook uses uh at this point i feel it's a dated metric it's called the relevance score um it's kind of a a a grade of like one to ten um that you know ten being great and one being terrible um you know that kind of judges how your audience is responding um but there are three components to kind of how they respond. There is number one, the response in um, like the relevance to the audience. So if people are into like, so this is kind of like based on their interests. If people are into war games and you have an ad all about war games and it's got the text in there that says, you know, check out my war game and, you know, has pictures of like miniatures and other things like that, you're going to get a good, kind of a relevance score that's Facebook behind the scenes figuring out if they think you did a good job uh, composing your ad for this audience. So the audience and, and what you say to them. Number two is the engagement ranking. So are people liking and commenting on that post? Are they likes, comments, and shares pretty much? So the more you get, the better that is for you. And you'll get, uh, so sometimes it will talk about, you know, say the relevant score, but more often it's these quality metrics of uh, like engagement ranking. Uh, you know, you have a lot of people engaging. That's, that's really good. Um, the other is the landing page experience. So, and, and again, you know, Kickstarter, if you can't show, you know, data to Facebook using a Facebook pixel, then it'll say that you're below average um, just because it has no data. So, uh, but if you, um, you know, if you're sending people to your website, 
you know, a, a before your Kickstarter campaign, then you'll be, it'll be able to track what's happening. So when somebody clicks on your link and they go to wherever it is, did they look at a page and then like close, or, you know, look at the page and then just close it because they weren't interested? Or did they click around and, sh and read some information? Did they scroll down? Did they subscribe? You know, that kind of thing. So you'll get, so that's, that's a very important metric. So actually the way that you're, you know, your, your landing page being composed to be very attractive and that kind of thing really matters too. So these are the three elements that they use to determine if you're, um, you know, really how effective it is. And that is directly correlated to how expensive it is to share. So we've had our, uh, so the, the single metric, and this is, you know, I'll probably get hate from uh, some uh, very well-educated marketers for saying this, but this, if I had to boil it down to a single metric, it's the cost per link click. So the cost, or, you know, some people say the cost per landing page view, which is a little bit of a different uh, thing, but if you can get your cost per click as low as humanly possible, the lowest I've ever had, I mean, I actually had at one point, I had a... Um, uh, cost per click was like two cents. It was, it was awesome. It was for a t-shirt company. Um, and that wasn't, that didn't last, but, uh, the best in the board game space that I've ever received, I, re I got uh, like an 11 cent cost per click. Um, and then uh, 17 cents, 17 to 20 cents is kind of the best, you know, that, that an average campaign can, you know, should, should shoot for more average. You're going to range between like, you know, that, that, ideal 17 cents to um, like 40 cents and you can still be profitable there. But remember if, if your cost per link click is 40 cents, um, which is not terrible, you know, but, but not amazing. Or if it's 20 cents, I mean, you're going to get twice the results at 20 cents that you will at 40. So look at the cost per link click and make that number as low as possible. Do all of your A-B testing to figure out how to make that number cost per link click as low as possible. Um, so, and then for advanced people, we can, you know, talk about other tactics, but that's by far the thing that I look at, uh, the thing that I would recommend others look at. Gotcha. All right. So we've talked about, you know, leading up to the Kickstarter project, the, the campaign launching day of, day after, what about during the middle of the campaign when it kind of drops off, when it's kind of a lull, you know, when you're not getting near as many people coming in or finding the campaign, how should my marketing strategy change during that time? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things is hustling is what it's all about. Like you, you have to constantly be working and, and, you know, the mid campaign slump is something that is a very, you know, well-documented experience. You know, you have this big launch day and maybe day two and then it falls off until like your final week it slowly begins climbing and then that 48 hour mark boom you know you've got the big reminder email that that goes out and the last chance to get in on the campaign and it's you know all of a sudden people are going crazy um so number one and this is you know really you know just based on what i've seen others do very well so i'll i'll mention the isofarian guard is a campaign that i worked on that that raised you know, more than a quarter of a million, really, they raised over 300 and it's like, I think they raised $322,000. You know, it, it's on their pledge manager. You can go check it out. Uh, just search Isofarian Guard on Kickstarter and uh, you'll find them. Um, so the Isofarian Guard did a good job preparing ahead of time for their uh, 
Kickstarter mid campaign, um, what they did was they number one, pre planned content. Uh, we talked about that last time where they kind of pre built content and then they had, uh, you know, they would, they would backfill or, you know, they would fill in uh, what's actually going on that day, but they had some templates to work from. Um, you don't want to be caught in a place where you're thinking, like, what should I write? You know, if, if it's not going very fast, like, what should I write? What should I talk about? Try to think about that ahead of time so that you can, you know, be prepared when that time comes and the engagement is not, you know, really uh, coming from your, your, your backers and that kind of thing as much, you need to be the one pushing the engagement and encouraging others to engage. So, um, you know, project updates are, are really important. Number two, of course, you need to get, uh, you need to try to get people that are outside your campaign who didn't know who you were to go to your campaign and check you out. So, um, one of the ways, you know, talking about Isofarian guard again, they did a really good job with giveaways. Now giveaways, they have, there's like a two, a twofer, you know, you, um, you benefit because you get a lot of people to your, uh, uh, Kickstarter campaign, but you also get a ton of, um, ranking because of all those people. So one of the things is, you know, and this is pretty well documented, the more people you have going to that page, the higher ranking that project is going to get in Kickstarter. And one of the biggest kind of uh, auxiliary benefits to, to sending people there with ads or, like I said, a giveaway or, or banners on Facebook groups or Board Game Geek ads or Facebook ads, whatever, is that more warm bodies are going to the page and then Kickstarter will rank you higher in the results. Um, and you will get people who discover your project. People who, you know, were on Kickstarter browsing will see you because they were just scrolling through the latest tabletop games and then you're ranked number five and then there you are and they're curious you know um so that's a huge auxiliary benefit to ads um you know during the middle of your kickstarter campaign um in addition one thing i'll just mention because i don't really know where else to put it is when you spend on ads you get this you get, you know, a direct return on investment because you've got um, people that are going to your page and then backing your game and you get money for that and, and all that to make the dream come alive. But in addition, the more people that back your game, the greater quantity you can produce, um, which would lower your manufacturing cost if you're able to produce a greater quantity. Um, so you kind of get this reverse... I don't even know what to call it, like a reverse return on investment, uh, which is probably sounds like a bad thing. Uh, but you get this uh, cheaper uh, cost and it's it, it kind of helps your your ads to return even greater investment. Um, so in the mid campaign, you need to focus on getting warm bodies there. You need to focus on getting more people there. Um, and you need to focus on engaging the people that you currently have. Because if you can engage those people, um, they'll do work for you, you know? And if you don't engage those people, they'll cool off and they'll wait around until the 48-hour email comes and then they'll decide whether they really want to back your project or not. So a lot of the work that you do is not going to look... It, it's really kind of disheartening sometimes. I've been a part of many, many campaigns now. And it's in the mid-campaign, you get a bunch of people there and, you know, let's say, you know, Isofarian Guard made $100,000 in two days. And then we made 
you know, anywhere from 500 to 1500 a day after that, it was just a real difference, huge difference. Um, some days were like 4,000 and whatever, when, you know, certain marketing things happen. But, uh, what happened is a lot of people hit the remind me button. A lot of people hit that remind me button. And in Kickstarter, you've got this, um, this metric that says how many people have hit the remind me button, which they added relatively, not recently, but you know, within the last year, I think. Um, and then it shows your conversion rate of those people. So a hundred people hit remind me 10 people ended up buying in. And so you have a 10% conversion rate. Um, so, uh, that number is going to tick up over time as you're doing all your marketing and whatnot. There are more people that are going to hit remind me. And this is going to, I mean, I would really focus on that. I, I personally, um, see anywhere from, you know, a, a decent campaign will get anywhere from 15 to I've seen as up, upwards of 30, maybe on the high end, like 40% of those people to actually convert. So a uh, typical number is probably 15 to 25% of those people are going to convert. Right. Uh, but this is the number that you're going to see tick up a lot more in the middle of your campaign. Um, because they want, you know, really you get a lot of people that want to see like where it's going to go, like how, you know, it's like, okay, I'm interested enough to, to be reminded about this. I just want to see what stretch goals are going to unlock and that kind of thing to see, you know, if I should put my money there or maybe put my money on the new hotness or whatever. So, um, that's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's go back to giveaways. What should I give away? You know, I've seen some people say, Hey, sign up for my email list. Now, you know, you're going to a drawing for a new iPad. Well, in that case, you get a lot of people who really just want an iPad and they don't really care about your thing. And so like, tell me about giveaways and, and the best way to do that. Yeah. So a funny story, I think back in um, 2011 or 2012, I did a giveaway for an iPad and I had like nine people enter. It was terrible uh, because, you know, so as far as a giveaway, there, there are certain things like the iPad analogy. People don't trust when you give away an iPad because there are so many scams, you know, that, that give away iPads. Right. Um, but I personally, you know, the, the standard for me is giving away a certain pledge level, you know, like your deluxe pledge level, um, you know, the, our winner, you know, maybe you'll pick three winners. They each win the deluxe pledge level, uh, you know, of your game. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a pretty solid giveaway, um, for people that have multiple, um, products in their line, they can give away, you know, one of everything they can give away, you know, j just the game, you know, but the, but for me, the gold standard is giving away the game that you're asking people to, to do research on, you know, with your giveaway. Um, that's, that's what I would recommend. And then I usually like to also give more than one chance. Because if there's only one copy or one pledge deluxe edition that you can win, it's a little disheartening. But if you get like two or three copies, it's like, hey, you know, you know, there's like, I just increased my chance by three times, so I'm maybe I'll maybe I'll jump. And I noticed this in in, in my um, my own psychology is that when there's one, I know there are going to be thousands of you know maybe millions of people that join this giveaway. I know it's it's not rational, but. The, um, the idea is that I'm just one person in a sea of many people. So if you give away two or three, uh, copies or, you know, chances to win rather it, it will, it will do better for you. 
Yeah. And so another thing I've seen and I've even used in the past is an application called Gleam. And that has a really interesting thing where people can earn more entries by doing different uh, actions, right? If they sign up for your email list, they get an extra entry. If they visit your Kickstarter campaign page, if they refer it to a friend, if they go to this page or that page, if they do different things, they get more entries. Tell me about that. Have you used Gleam at all or anything like that? And is it effective? Actually, I love Gleam. Um, it is it is a really awesome thing. So yeah, you you can give people multiple entries to your contest, and really, it's just it's just a big game. You know, you want to get people to try to rack up as many entries as they can. So joining your you know signing up for your uh, like liking your Facebook page is one entry, and then signing up for your email list is ten entries, and um, you know doing uh, answering these questions or you know you name it uh, the you know liking your BGG page and whatnot. That's um, it's pretty cool, and really the goal of this is just to try to get your um, audience to absorb some information about your game. Um, if they you know the more that the more information that you that you get someone to absorb, the more interested the right people will become. And so that's kind of the whole idea for giveaways. But um, again, the auxiliary benefit for me, the main benefit is getting all those people to your traffic. And you will never discover the true return on investment for some of the marketing activities that you do with Kickstarter. And it's kind of a sad, um, you know, a sad uh, reality is that, you know, your giveaway may you may have had like five backers during the period of your giveaway but the um the the uh tabletop discovery like the search function on kickstarter you're gonna get backers from that and so you know it's it's just sometimes it's just tough to know where backers came from but the fact that you did a giveaway is going to be it's going to be awesome um so in whatever giveaway you do make sure you send people to your kickstarter (laughs) Yeah, definitely. All right, let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about post Kickstarter marketing. All right, so the campaign funded, you know, now you're going into finishing up the art, the graphic design, the manufacturing, the shipping, all the things go along with the not so fun uh, aspects uh, of the Kickstarter process. What should I be thinking about? What should I be doing for post campaign marketing? Yeah, so the first thing is make sure you have a pledge manager. Um, It would be a good idea to talk to pledge managers before um, like I said, you know, I think Game on Tabletop's a great one. Real quick, uh, define what that is just in case somebody hadn't heard of it. Okay, so a pledge manager is a system that it's kind of like a website, but they're a company that allows you to put in your uh, pledge levels like you had on Kickstarter. You can dump in your Kickstarter backer list and and it basically handles a lot of the administrative stuff so that people can pick their rewards, uh, give you the correct address, update their information, you know, um, in case they move and and that sort of thing. But what a pledge manager does is it allows you to kind of, in a way, continue your Kickstarter campaign. Um, So uh, typically, you know, like the Isofarian Guard made 261,000 in um, the uh, Kickstarter campaign, and then they made another, you know, 60,000 in the pledge manager. Um, So that would be, you know, maybe people either upgrading their current pledge, maybe they backed for $1 and then, you know, because they just didn't have any money, payday, you know, campaign ended before their payday or whatever, they had bills, maybe they come back two months later and then drop, you know, the $100 or for the $100 pledge. Um, That happens in the pledge manager. In addition to that, you can 
um, send people to your send new people to your pledge manager if you wanted to use ads if you wanted to use you know uh, whatever it is you you know your email list that you've grown um, you can send people to your pledge manager and uh, so that's a just a super useful tool to have um, normally I see companies grow whatever they did on Kickstarter by an average of like twenty percent um, so you know they they pledge managers cost something to um you know to, i mean if somebody backs your campaign on kickstarter versus backs on a pledge manager it's kind of kind of going to be the same amount that kickstarter takes out or the pledge manager is going to take out the same thing um ish but the um the idea is that you have you know just an, another place people can go to kind of uh, get your game before you actually commit to the manufacturing and you know you want to try to get this relationship established before your kickstarter ends a lot of pledge managers have this program where if you commit to using that pledge manager before your Kickstarter campaign is over, they'll waive the startup fee or, you know, that kind of thing. Gotcha. And so what else should I be thinking about post Kickstarter you know, campaign? A lot of people think, oh, I'll hopefully get my game into distribution. Hopefully retail stores want to, you know, buy a bunch of copies of my game. But typically that doesn't happen, especially if you, mm-hmm. this is your first campaign, if you've only done a handful. So what else can I be doing kind of move those extra copies. You know, if I had a thousand people back my game, I, I didn't only print a thousand copies. I probably printed at least 2000 and hopefully more than that. And so what mm-hmm. can I be doing to market my game and to get those extra copies sold? So th- this is, um, in, in a way it's a funny, uh, funny thing. I, I, I kind of feel like it's almost a loaded question because there really is so much that you could do. The key, the first key is to do something. So do, don't sit on your tail and, and, think about it. Just try stuff, do stuff. So for the people that have, um, you know, been diligent pre Kickstarter sharing art and and that kind of thing, you should do the same post Kickstarter, um, share and say, Hey, you know, uh, make sure that you keep your, your existing audience updated. Um, I would say the most important thing you could do is try to keep people engaged. You know, there are certain times that people are just gonna, you know, we'll, we'll say like fall asleep. They're going to fall asleep um, as far as, you know, their level of interest in what it is that you've done after your Kickstarter campaign is is ended. They um, so typically what happens, you know, a Kickstarter campaign runs a lot of people talk about a project and then the, the talking falls off. And that's because your campaign is, you know, in process, it's going to get fulfilled and all that. But when it gets fulfilled, there's going to be a big blip again because the new hotness is here on my doorstep. I want to open it and play it. And people are going to talk about it on board game geek and other things like that. And then again, it's going to fall off. So in, in that kind of intermediary period, a couple of things, number one, make sure you keep your hardcore fan base engaged um, with content. Uh, Make sure you keep people updated on the manufacturing process and that kind of thing. Um, But one of the things I, I think is, just super important. And I'll actually point to Everdell by Starling Games. When they launched Everdell, it made like $180,000, which was which was amazing. You know, I hope my games make $180,000 on Kickstarter. But when Everdell was finished and, you know, it hit the market for like three months and then they had Pearlbrook, which is the first expansion to Everdell launch on Kickstarter within that like three months of Everdell releasing. And that made $600,000. So when your campaign is successful, make sure you 
are right away work, you know, working on an expansion. I mean, I was told, you know, when you're working on your very first game, think about your expansions too, because you know, you're designing all this content, just design more characters than you need. And, you know, so, and, and more scenarios than you need so that you can use those in, in expansions. Um, but, uh, the, the idea is that you can capitalize on your marketing success. And this is one of my kind of, you know, even though I'm not going to be the publisher for my game, I'll probably be intimately involved in the marketing. Um, and you have to have a long-term plan for how to support your, your, your project, your, your product that you're making. If it's just a one and done, there's really no way to turn it into an evergreen, right? But when you support it with expansions and, and other um, Kickstarter events, you're going to keep people excited and they're going to be more likely to buy in. So with Pearlbrook, the, the expand, first expansion to Everdell, they did almost 600000 maybe just over $600,000 on their Kickstarter campaign. And guess what happened right when Everdell was released into the world? There was another Kickstarter campaign for another expansion, and that did $1.2 million. And I guarantee you that as soon as I receive Spirecrest or Everdell Spirecrest, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be another expansion and they're going to make one and a half or $2 million. Um, so if you really want to be just a solid board game company, you need to build on your success and build on your momentum and embrace the nature of Kickstarter. People get really excited during the campaign and kind of start to go to sleep. And then they get really excited when it's released. And then, you know, that's whatever happens is, is what happens. But I mean, maybe Everdell was in distribution, but you know, when the first game released, but I guarantee you that distribution is taking them very seriously right now because they have a line of products. They have a, a lot of success. They have building success when more people, you know, they've proven that when more people learn about their game, more people will back their game. So there's a, a much larger market than, Kickstarter. Kickstarter is kind of like the proving ground in, in a way for, for distribution. They want to see your campaign be successful in Kickstarter, but they also want to see that your campaign has potential um, for beyond Kickstarter. Because the first thing that you have to deal with with a distributor, and this comes from Mike Webb uh, over at Alliance, um, you know, talking with him, is, uh, you know, you did uh, 2,000 backers, 1,000 backers. Great. You found your audience and all the people who wanted to buy your game bought your game. That's the objection that you have to deal with and overcome. You have to prove that there's more of a market and, you know, really following up with an expansion and continuing work. It gives you material for, to share that, you know, like new art and, you know, new cards and fun ideas and that kind of thing. So um, I highly recommend working on an expansion in the midst of this. Yeah, absolutely. And my mentality is, okay, how can I over deliver? Right. It, it's a lot easier and a lot cheaper to keep a customer than to acquire a new customer. And so how can I over deliver to people who have already put faith and trust in, in me and my company? How can I make sure that they are well cared for, well taken care of? And, and one of those things is post campaign is just updating uh, frequently, you know, sending updates about manufacturing, sending updates about the art and saying, hey, check out the new art from the artist in this cool, you know, and that kind of keeps it in people's mind. And then recently I had an idea and I was at my daughter's Christmas concert at her school and I was sitting there kind of zoning out and I had this random idea for a, a hunted, you know, style game that was Santa's workshop where Santa has been kidnapped by Jack Frost 
and now you're Becky the elf and you have to go rescue Santa and save Christmas. And it was just this random kind of goofy idea. And then I really started thinking more about it. It's like, well, that'd be kind of fun. And I could do this and I had these new systems and I've got some, actually got some Christmas art and assets left over from another game I was working on. So I could maybe throw that in there. And I thought, well, wouldn't this be a really cool way to over deliver to my Kickstarter backers as just a free print and play? I could put this game together. You know, I talked to Drew, the graphic designer. He was down. He was excited about it. And it's like, okay, let's do this. And in about two weeks, I had a, a game that was had graphic design, had art, print and play, ready to go, sent it out to Kickstarter backers just as a way to say, hey, thank you for being part of this. You know, really appreciate you. And that was a way to over deliver. And it didn't cost that much money, right? For the extra graphic design, a few extra art assets, you know, it's all digital files. So I'm not printing anything. And, but it was just a way to say, hey, thank you. And hopefully that made people feel, feel good, feel special. And then when the next hunting game rolls around, those people are, you know, hopefully more, more so going to be raving fans to back the next game, to be more part of it, to help me market it and that kind of thing. And so I think you should always be looking for how can I over deliver, whether it's with an expansion, right? Whether it's with some free content, whether it's with an added little bonus that you put in the box that you, you didn't even tell them you were going to do, right? You, you added an extra little stretch goal in there and, and, and just they opened the box and there it was like, what? I didn't even know this was going to be here. I think anything like that, that can set you apart from other companies, other Kickstarter and, and campaigns and things like that. Definitely think about it. Definitely do it because that's that's what it's going to take in this noisy, crowded market to, to stand out, to stand apart in the post Kickstarter, post campaign marketing world. And so it's just some some things to think about. That's that's awesome. Awesome. And I, I just when Hunted Christmas Edition came out, I thought that was so cool. It, it really was. And, um, you know, what you're doing is you're building people into fans of you and your company. And that is something that you can that you can brand. So you know, over delivering just makes me feel more warm and fuzzy when I hit the back button. And it makes me want to back day one because, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it pleases you and I'm a fan, you know, and I, I want to be able to say, you know, the next time I see you at a convention, I want to say, yeah, I was backer number one, or I was, you know, whatever for your campaign. I mean, it just, uh, it, it makes me a raving fan. And I think that's, that's amazing. I hope so. Uh, all right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about marketers. Let's talk about, so when anyone who's, who's run a campaign, they know that day one, you are inundated with message after message from all these marketing companies or alleged marketing companies that say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I just back, I'll, I'll back your game. If you'll, you know, sign up to work with my company, I'll get you a hundred thousand backers. And they make all these like outlandish mm-hmm. claims, which kind of suggests that maybe they're not legit. But tell me about working with a marketer for your game. What should that look like? Should I even do it at all? What should I be thinking about if I'm going to do it? You know, if if I have a a $10 micro game or wallet game, maybe it doesn't make as much sense as a $100 big miniature game. But give me some ideas and some things to think about as far as doing it myself versus going out, hiring a company to help me in the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So the first thing is, the thing that a company or a, a contractor brings that is of value is not 100,000 views or whatever. It's the process that they use. So their expertise is leveraged when they, you know, do ABC, like we talked about the specific interest targeting, then we're going to do lookalike audience. And then we're going to do kind of like a broad match thing. And then we're going to revisit the lookalike audience. And then we're going to, when we get a thousand people on the email list, then we're going to create a lookalike audience specific to that email list. And then we're going to target this way. And that way that plan is, and, and the execution of that plan is what has value in, in the hands of a, 
an experienced marketer that knows what to look for and knows how to A-B test and that kind of thing. The results in a funny way is not where the value comes using a, a marketing agency or a marketing company or a sub guy. You know, you um, the process is what gets the results. So the process is actually the thing that is of value when, you know, in, in terms of, of talking about, you know, marketing stuff. So if you're working with a marketing company, you should probably have a firm before you pay anything, they should be able to tell you what they're going to do, how, how they're going to leverage the money that you give them. And they should be able to, to give you a tangible plan. And, and for me, I, um, I, that, I mean, that's what I do. I, I think that there's value in making sure that people know what it is I'm actually going to do because the, the temp, I mean, really, I think that people think I, you know, it's like they, they hire me and then they tell me like, Oh, you know, I, uh, I need results. And I'm like, okay, so I'll, I'll go into my cave. I'll put on my robe and my wizard hat. And then I'm going to roll this great stone over the, the, the cave entrance. So you can't see what I'm doing. And then I'm just going to conjure magic and it's going to work. Um, that is a dangerous, uh, amount of rope to give a marketing company. I would say, I, I would want to know what it is that they were going to do, you know, and then I would want to see them execute on the plan. And then if they weren't executing on the plan, then I would quickly, you know, I would want to have a structured contract in place that allows me to just like end. So, um, you know, in essence, the proof is in the pudding. You don't want to overcommit to a marketing company and say, you know, pay them, uh, you know, 20% of every sale you make, uh, or whatever, or you, you don't want to, uh, pay a big fee up front, like, you know, $2,000 up front. Um, and then, you know, uh, uh, you're on the hook for 500 bucks every month, you know, because the contract says so you want to maintain your relationship with a marketer based on the results they're getting you and you want to stay with them because they're doing a good job and they're keeping in communication with you. So some of the, you know, common pitfalls are after you send the contract, the marketer ghosts you. That's a bad sign. And you need to be able to get out of that. Um, you know, you don't want to prepay too much. You don't want to, um, you know, you don't want to fall victim to, uh, grandiose promises because, um, those are not guarantees. What you can guarantee is a solid process. Um, and you know, you need to trust that person that that is a person that you're working with it might be a company, but you have a person who is supposed to have their, their best interests, your best interests at heart, you know? Um, so that's a little bit about working with a marketing agency. And most of them are garbage. <laughs> <laughs> now, what should I do? What's my process for finding one of these agencies? You know, I am assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, anyone that contacts me day of my, my campaign launch, I should just disregard and delete that message. Any, any of that. Like, is, I don't know that any of those are, are legitimate. They might be legitimate companes, but maybe not le legitimate business practices. And so like, mm -hmm. what, what's my process? How should I find a company to work with? So the first thing I would say is use, if you can, um, use somebody that has proven results with other companies. Um, a, a lot of the way that I get business is um, I do, you know, I, I do a good job for a client and then they talk about it and other people ask them, a, you know, or maybe ask a generic question in a, like a Facebook group or something like that, a conversation I'm not a part of. 
And then my, my client says, Hey, you know, these guys did a good job for me. That's how I get a lot of, uh, you know, my board game related business. But, um, you can also, I mean, you can, you can always Google it, but really the key here is the relationship. You, you need to trust who it is that you're working with. And so a lot of that comes by referral. Um, you know, ask people that have had successful Kickstarter campaigns, who they used and what their experience was like. That's going to be really great. Um, you know, as far as the, the amount of trust that you have for that company, because they did someone else a good, you know, they did a good job for someone else. That's, that's going to start the relationship in the right place. And you do need to trust your marketing company. I mean, in the end you're saying, Hey, my credit card is, you know, on Facebook and you're spending my money and I trust you with how you spend it because, you know, um, of all the things that, you know, the positive things that you've heard. Um, that would be my number one. I, I mean, I get business off offline and, you know, I get a lot of business from uh, business to business for other services, SEO and, you know, that, that kind of thing. But, um, I mean, I just couldn't, there's just so much access to high quality board game companies out there in easy, easy reach on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, you can, you know, even send an email to a small publisher. I personally advocate for sending an email to a small publisher, asking them who they would recommend for marketing. Um, now if you, for whatever reason, can't do that, I would prefer a local person that I, that I know. I um, am not so much a fan of using a freelancer because if that person disappears, I have no recourse at all. If I used a, a person in, um, you know, like a, in the board game space that has some notoriety, you know, uh, that they would have something to lose if they did a bad job for me. I would, I would be able to say, Hey guys, you know, this person, um, you know, ripped me off or whatever. Right. So they would be more likely to, you know, to try hard that's all I want. I want somebody to try hard. So, uh, you know, and, and, and stick around. And so, um, you need to make sure that that company has some skin in the game. Uh, so, you know, if, if you know where a local, um, digital marketing agency that you can actually go to their office and talk to them, um, and they have a lease agreement for the next, you know, five years in that space. So, you know, where they, you know, where they work, if they do you wrong. That's, um, honestly, that actually does give me some peace too, uh, because they have stability. I just wouldn't pay anyone that, like you said, I would pay no one that, uh, that solicits you after the Kickstarter is over at all. Yeah. Awesome. All right. As we start wrapping this up, give me some just general pitfalls to avoid some kind of closing ideas as far as things people need to be aware of, uh, you know, roads not to travel down, anything else you can think of to just kind of keep people making good choices and not, you know, messing themselves up with the marketing. So we had, we talked about ways contractors will get you, you know, by either prepaying too much or having ridiculous contracts or ghosting you and that kind of thing. But one of the most common problems I see is um, people dilute their email list with bad contacts. So they'll add their mom and their friend who who are only bad. They don't even play games, but they'll back them because they they love them. And, you know, you add a bunch of these contacts to your list and then you also do Facebook ads and add more people to the list. And then, you know, or, or however you, you expand that list, you, um, you know, we use that list as a lookalike audience uh, to, to find the right 
type of profile of a person on Facebook that would be interested. And what happened is because you had your mom and your friend and whatever on that list, it actually makes for a worse quality list. So the number that you have on your email list, I know a lot of small uh, business, a lot of new um, board game designers. I mean, the difference between 30 and 100 people is just, you know, it's really kind of cool, you know, to see you have 100 on your list or whatever. But don't, you know, avoid, I'm sorry, uh, resist the urge to put your family and your friends on that list unless they really do fit the profile of, of a person who would back the game. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying to be too picky, but I'm just saying don't dilute your email list with bad contacts. Uh, number two, uh, don't quit too early. You spent a hundred dollars. It didn't work. I mean, just you, you, you didn't give it enough of a chance. So it's, uh, you know, if, I mean, honestly, it may be that you really can't afford a hundred dollars. If you can't afford to sit down at the poker table and gamble with a hundred dollars, then you should not play. So it's completely legitimate to say, I cannot do ads and you have to figure out some sort of alternative because you really are bootstrapping with no money. And, you know, I mean, we've seen games work uh, that way, but just don't quit early. If you're going to do ads, you know, give it the good old college try. Um, You know, we talked about changing too many variables at once with your ads, you know, Um, you know, not monitoring ads. uh, You know, if your Facebook ad, is going to fall off after a certain period of time. It's it's going to work really well, and then it's going to work okay, and then it's all of a sudden just going to start being terrible. You need to to be able to you need to monitor that and make sure. And if you have a company, you need to make sure that they're monitoring, and you need to be monitoring in addition to the company. Don't put all your eggs in that company, um, trusting them exclusively. You need to make sure that the ads are monitored. Um, so, uh, and then lastly is probably just setting your budget too low or too high, like right at the beginning. If you don't really know what you're looking for, five bucks a day, I don't know, maybe that's not too terrible if, you know, just to learn a little bit, but it's really not going to do much for you as far as, you know, like a month out from Kickstarter is five bucks a day is not enough. Just don't set it too low. It's not, it's not enough for Facebook to learn or, you know, two bucks a day or whatever. It's not. Facebook is not going to be able to learn what makes a good customer for you because you're not giving it enough data to work with. So don't set your budget too low. And then of course, you know, don't waste a bunch of money early. I mean, don't set it to 500 bucks to try to learn, you know, get Facebook to learn. It's just, you're not giving yourself enough time to do the AB testing and, you know, audience with audiences and your ads and your images that you need. So, you know, your budget too low, too high, you know, is, is, is a mistake too. Um, I guess that's, those are the things I can think of. <laughs> awesome. Well, Andrew, man, this has been amazing. It's been really good. Really appreciate you coming back for part two. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts for people? Anything you want to leave people with? Yeah. Um, well, I guess uh, we talked a lot about uh, Deliverance last podcast, but I have a game that I'm working on. It's called Deliverance. It's a Christian fantasy dungeon crawler. And uh, I think, you know, I've just, I just got the new prototype. It's, it's, I'm really excited about it. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to deliverancethegame.com. Uh, if you want to learn more about my company, you can go to nextlevelweb.com. Um, I, my advice is always free. So you can email me at andrew at nextlevelweb.com, um, you know, with any questions you might have. And, uh, you know, that's, I guess, 
that's that's how to how to find me. Um, I I love to help people, even if it's not a great fit that we work together. I it just tickles me pink to be able to help. Awesome. Well, again, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with deliverance and good luck with all the marketing stuff and uh, everything else you got going on right now. All right. Thanks a lot, Gabe. And thanks for inviting me back. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?